Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. We started out in Exodus 14. We realized we were freed from slavery. We came to the Red Sea. We came to the point where we began to understand that uh, we had to move forward into the unknown. When there seems to be no way, we have to trust that God will open a way. And he did, right? He opened up the Red Sea. But he didn't do it until the people took the first step. So then the next step was in chapter 15. And we talked about this thing of having this thirst that only God can quench. And we're going to see as we go through in this study, thirst does kind of tie into a connection. That thirst is that connection with God. You guys have heard it. People talk about probably that we're all we all have this God-shaped hole in our heart that only He can fill. I kind of like that, but as this thing, we have a thirst. You guys ever been thirsty and you drink water and it's like, no, well, that ain't quite it. And so you try some lemonade, but sometimes that makes you more thirsty. And and you know you try other things and it just don't quite get there. Well, that's kind of the way our life is. And when we don't have this connection with God, Jesus had told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that he has a water that if we drink of it, we will never thirst again. In chapter 14, it's where the children of Israel had come to the waters that were bitter. God showed Moses a tree and he threw it in there and it made the water sweet. And we talked about how it kind of parallels with the cross to come. But not only that, remember we've talked in the past about how many times when God's wanting to establish a principle, he'll give examples or foreshadowings so that we can look and we can see what was and then what is and then what is to come. We can see that in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they'll have a what was And then a what is. It's a what is that's happening in the Old Testament. And then what is to come. So like in this example, we would say there was a what was, was in the garden. Remember, there were two trees. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was also the tree of life. That's what was, was the tree of life. And then what is in this part of the story is bitter waters. But when the tree is put in there, It makes them sweet. And so it gives an idea of the tree of life, of it giving life, because water is life. And then that is a foreshadowing of the living water that is Jesus, right? He is that tree that if we eat from that tree, the fruit of the cross and what happened on the cross, we will have eternal life, just like the tree in the garden. So you see, it's what was, what is, and what is yet to come. And so it's that same way now. There was the garden. There was the journey through the wilderness. But we're going through that now. Then in Revelations, in the book of Revelations, it talks about in the end, there's going to be a garden, which is going to be this world, and there is going to be the tree of life that rivers of water flow out. What was, what is, and what is yet to come. No, we're not fully experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom right now because he hasn't fully established it. He's established it in the spiritual realm, 
He is seated in his throne on high. He conquered sin and death. He is the king. He took care of it. There is still more when the whole world comes under his authority. We're looking for that day. What was, what is, and what is still to come, right? So then the next part of the journey is in chapter 16, that hunger that only God can fill. It's our manna, our daily bread. And we saw also in John chapter 4, later on after the well experience, the disciples said, you need to eat. And he says, I have a food of which you don't understand. And that is to do the will of my father. It's a purpose. God's purpose is a food for us. You know, so Jesus says this. You guys, can you can you picture that what I'm trying to paint here? We all have a hunger. And that hunger is the emptiness when we don't have the purpose and meaning in life that God gives to us. But we have to live in today, just for today, in that purpose. We do our best today to do what God's called us to do. We're not doing it for tomorrow. We do today the step we need to take today to fulfill what God's called us to do. What that means is, is we, can't, we can't look in our lives and say, one day when I'm like such and such, one day when all of this other stuff is taken care of, then I'm going to follow God. One day when I've got all of my ducks in a row, then I'll be able to walk in the calling that God has for me. Or one day when I pay all my bills, I'll say, I remember, I remember a time thinking, God, how can I do what you want me to do when I can't even pay my bills? How can I fulfill it? And I kept waiting for God to do all of this stuff so that I could get about doing his work. And that wasn't what he wanted. He wanted me just like at the edge of the sea. He wanted me to step out and then I can begin to trust him today. Like Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. So I step out today in what I have and then God meets my need and he prepares everything. He's preparing everything so that when tomorrow comes, everything's in tomorrow that needs to be there. So then I walk in that part. I wanted to be able to learn to play the guitar and I had like no money. Many years ago, we had like no money. My kids were young. I, you know, and if I had to choose between getting shoes for my kids or buying a guitar, you have to choose shoes for your kids. And so I had no money. I had gotten $50 for something. It was a gift. And so I went to the pawn shop and they had this purple and white painted guitar. I called it my Elvis guitar. Because if you picture what Elvis would have had in the 70s, you know. So I called it my Elvis guitar. It was 50 bucks. And so I bought this guitar. And I was like, ooh, I got me a guitar. And it had an acoustic pickup built into it. I'm like, woohoo! I can rock it now. But here was the thing. It was so cheap in the way it was that if you put any pressure at all on the neck, it would be out of tune. So you had to be very careful how you played because you couldn't put any pressure on anything unduly because it would be out of tune. And it sounded like a cigar box. 
Actually, I say, I say that, but when it, when it went through an amplifier, it sounded okay, but I would get excited playing and I would play, I played really hard then. And so I'd be moving my arms around and this thing would be going in and out of tune, in and out of tune. It'd be like having a whammy bar in there. So I needed to get a better guitar. I needed to get a good guitar. I went to a music store down the street from me and I went in there and started looking at guitars and there was this purple Ibanez guitar and it was beautiful to me. It was beautiful. Hanging up there on the wall, I got that thing down and I played it. Ooh, that sounded good too. Sounded good. It had the acoustic pickup. It had a Fishman pickup, which at the time was really a really good pickup. And uh, said you could run it through an amplifier. I'm like, oh man, I play the guitar. Play the guitar for a few minutes. I'm like, oh man, I love this guitar. And the price tag was hanging on the neck. And so I reached up, or on the headstock, I reached up and turned that price tag. $490. Guys, this is 25 years ago. $490. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to afford this guitar. I, I, I'm never. Be, yeah. And I did. I went there a couple of times. And I was like, I would look at that guitar. I took it down and played it that first time. But I would go and I would get strings for my Ellis guitar. And, uh, and I would just look at that guitar and just think, God. So Christmas comes up and my grandpa had given me some money for Christmas. My parents gave me some money. I put that money back, a little bit of time goes. My birthday comes, I get a little bit of birthday money. You guys, I didn't have near enough. I had like 200, after saving for a long time, I had like $238. I'm like, you know, this will take forever. This will take years for me to be able to take the money without taking from the family. And so I actually took $30 of that $238. I took $30. And I bought something that I didn't really, didn't need. I just had an impulse buy. You guys ever go a long stretch without being able to spend money? And so you get a little bit of money in your pocket and suddenly it's like, oh yeah. And so you buy things that you don't really need. Yeah, impulse buy things. And then that money's gone and it's like, oh man, what did I do? This was crazy. It feels good for a minute, a hot minute. I bought something for $30. I can't even remember what it was. But so I happened to be looking for a certain nail gun for work. And at that time, I would buy tools from the pawn shop because it was cheaper. So I went into this particular pawn shop I like to buy tools at. I walked in. Boom. There it was. The purple Ibanez guitar hanging on the wall. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's right there. I went over, I got that thing down. It played even sweeter than the last one. I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And it had a price tag on the headstock too. And I reached up, I was afraid to look. I turned that price tag, $230. No, because remember I just spent 30 bucks on something that I didn't need, didn't want. And I was heartbroken, I was crushed. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But guess what I did? I went home and I said, Pam, I found it. I found the guitar. 
But to get it, I have to take 30 more dollars and I'm going to have to take $30 from the family money. And that was a big deal at that time. And I said, but I, I need to do it. And I went back and forth because I was like, God, is this okay to do this? And he said, yes, it's okay. But learn this lesson right now. I substituted. God had a plan and knew that guitar was coming the whole time. And he worked it out to provide for me to buy that guitar. So I had the right amount of money. But because I was impatient, I spent that money. So you guys get the point, right? Well, I bought that guitar. And that's what I wrote. All these songs that I sing, the songs that I write, that's the guitar I wrote. I still have it. I learned my lesson in a big way. But you know what? I've still made similar mistakes, right? Because we do that sometimes. Sometimes we learn some really important lessons and then a little bit of time goes by and we forget. We have to relearn them so that it gets cemented into us. But that is an important lesson when we have this hunger and before we allow God to fill that with our daily bread, we get hungry, we want something else. We eat something sweet and unhealthy when we should be waiting and saving our appetite for dinner. That's with the hunger. And that hunger is that connection with God to walk in His plans and purposes. Chapter 17. We get to chapter 17. They've gotten the manna. And they head out again, and I'm going to read it. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Every step in this journey that we've taken, they have complained, right? They have complained every step. But what did God do in every step? He met their need, Right? But in doing that, he always put a little tag on it so that they could learn something. He didn't punish them. He would do a little something each time so that they could learn and understand. Thirsting again, when we don't have that connection with God, it makes me having meaningful connections to people around us very difficult. They were thirsting again. Remember, this is the finding that lesson again. They drank the sweet water at Mara got their food, got their bellies full. And that's a lot of times what happens with us. Things start getting better. We're thirsty and hungry. We have an encounter with God and things start getting better. But then that connection begins to be lost. We all have relationships, right? We all have connections with the people around us. And so when I talk about thirsting, we all have the need to have relationships with the people around us. And whether you know God or not, you can have relationships with the people around you. And sometimes they can be fulfilling in their way. But they will never satisfy that thirst or quench that thirst. Like first having that relationship with God 
And then when he does the things inside us, then that allows us to make more intense, better connections with the relationships and the people around us. Part of that being, just as an example of it is, is when we don't have God in our lives and we're trying to use the relationships from, with the people around us to meet our needs and make us feel better, we'll end up reverting to manipulation and control in order to get what we want out of the situation. But when we have that fulfillment with God and he quenches that thirst, we lose that need to manipulate and control in order to get our needs met because they're being met. And we're able to allow people to be people. People can be themselves around us. They don't have to meet some kind of criteria or requirement because they don't have to fill our needs. We're then able to walk away from unhealthy relationships. We can work on those relationships to try and make them better. But if they're unhealthy, we can walk away from them. We don't have to stay in it because we're stuck because of some need. If people threaten to leave us, the fear of rejection or being alone is not there anymore. And so we cannot be manipulated by others. See what I'm saying? We won't be manipulated by other people to meet their needs because they're doing the same thing. And when we're able to set healthy boundaries for ourselves, we're not being manipulated and controlled so we don't build those resentments. And everything goes better in our lives. We build healthier, more meaningful relationships, which it's like that, again, like that spiral staircase. We have a better relationship with God, which causes us to have a better relationship with people, which then, I know it's kind of, sounds funny to say this, but as we have better relationships with people, we are then able to have a better relationship with God because we begin to understand things better and we begin to see things better. So then that means we have better relationships with other people, which means we have better relationship with God, you know, and throw in the fact that one of the people we're having a better relationship with is, is ourselves. Remember the three types of relationships, ourselves, our neighbor and God. As all of those relationships grow, they keep going up and up and up. So. Having said that, let's look at the next passage. So in verse 5 and 6, basically God, I'm going to paraphrase, God tells Moses to take the rod that he used to part the Red Sea. Remember, he set the rod in the, in the sea and it parted. So tells him to take that rod and strike this rock that they were at and water came out. Now, this is just a little Cliff Clavin fact, if you guys know what that means. There are archaeologists who have actually identified a place where in an arid climate, arid, like a really dry place in the desert, where there is this rock that has been split in half, and there is erosion that has taken place, huge boulders that were rolled. It looks as if thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water have come out and eroded this. Now, there were over a million children of Israel that left Egypt. I've heard a lot of different numbers, but I'll say... There are over a million. So it would take a lot of water blowing out to do that. I love listening to podcasts that talk about creation and then archaeology and the history of, of all of it. I thought that was fascinating that they found a place like that that they think is this, where this occurred. God once again met their need, but he didn't do it like he did before, right? But he is teaching them there's a lesson involved in this. 
Some of you may realize that we're going to come back to this place again later on. But for right now, this is what we find out. God met his need. And so in verse 7 of Exodus, so he called the name of the place Massah and Mirabah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they came up. They weren't just complaining because they didn't have water. They came to a place. Remember, we talk about connection, having a connection with God and that connection wearing off. They were in a great place, had food and water and everything was good. And then they go on and they experience that thirst again. And they're like, is God even with us? Now, you remember, think back from the Red Sea. They've been following this pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God's been doing all of this stuff as they're following, wandering along. And yet they say, is God even with us? That is us, right? They didn't have the Holy Spirit, but it's before the Holy Spirit. They didn't have it within them, but that was God's presence. That was the presence of the Lord. The people are still struggling to make the connection, you know, saying, is God even with us? But God is being patient and providing anyway. Now, remember, we're on our journey and we're taking these steps and we have to learn these lessons as we go. And if we keep thirsting and complaining and wondering if God is even with us, how many times he's the he's not going to hurt us. He's not going to punish us. But how many times do we have to keep coming back to the rock? In Exodus 17, verse eight, that's right after they said God with us. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. If you look up name Amalek, he's a dweller of the valley or one who licks up. He's a, this is a low life person, right? They were the enemies of the children of God. He was a descendant from the line of Esau. Remember, there was Jacob. And that's where the children of Israel came from. Jacob's name was changed to Israel when he fought in the wilderness. Remember that? lesson wrestling with God Amalek was a descendant of Esau which was Jacob's brother until now they've been just wandering this is the first battle this battle is fought in the valley this is an important part because in our lives we're going to have mountaintop experiences and we're going to have valley experiences and we have to learn in the wilderness about how to deal with the valley experiences As we begin our relationship with God, God frees us. We make our decision. We begin to learn about trusting him. We begin to learn about finding ourselves in him, our purpose in him. We will begin to fight this battle. This battle will look like depression. This battle will look like anxiety. It will be a valley experience. Depending on who you are and your personality type will depend on what exactly this battle looks like. Because for some people, certain things won't bother some people, but other people, it'll bother more. I have struggled in my relationships when people around me seem judgmental or critical of me and they make comments. And I've had family members in the past when I was new. I had this one particular family member that if they said something in a certain way, it would send me into a spiral for days, sometimes weeks. It would be like a cloud would be over me. 
And that affected everything else that happened in my life. It affected the way I interacted with Pam and my kids, the way I interacted at work, just because of the way this person said things. Now, the Bible does say we wrestle not with against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the world. This person did say things that would hurt me, and because of who they were, it would follow me and it would create this cloud. But they were just speaking out of their hurt and that allowed them to be used by the enemy to hurt me. I became very resentful at this person because it felt like, why would they do this? Why would they continue to do this? Why don't they understand how bad this hurts me? They had no idea. And only part of it, only part of the hurt that I had was because of what they said. Part of the reason why it affected me the way it did was because of what was going on inside of me. Guys, I work in construction. Sometimes I'll get a splinter in my finger. And if you get a, a splinter in your finger with treated wood, it doesn't take but a day for that to flame up and get red, almost infected. If anything touches that, oh my goodness, it hurts like you wouldn't believe. But if that splinter wasn't there, that same pressure, that same thing wouldn't bother me at all. And so when people do things, when we're in our valley experience and people do things and it hurts so bad, it's usually because of what's going on inside of us. And if we can have that splinter pulled out and God would heal that area, then they can say those things and it doesn't hurt so bad. You're able to just go on from it. But resentment and bitterness is like that festering splinter. That's why we have to deal with those things. As we head into this battle, we're going to learn about this battle and how we deal with it. You guys can read ahead if you want. But we're going to learn about how God takes care of this battle and what the answer is on how we do this. Because they had victory and they had to go through the actions of fighting. God was taking care of them. Thanks for listening. Please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.